Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We are one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this message with others or click on the Give link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. so great Jesus in all things I've seen a glimpse of your heart a billion years still I'll be singing how can I praise you enough how can I praise you enough you are the
How are you, church? You good? It's been a good morning, and it is great to be with you guys. Uh, I didn't introduce myself earlier. For those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is David Walters, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And it is a privilege to be with you in the last week of our series, um, Truth Over Trend, where unfortunately we will no longer be able to enjoy that bumper video, uh, but our next one's going to be awesome as well, where we are talking in this series about the things that matter most to God, even when it's not trendy for us to talk about them or to do them in church, uh, despite uh, the trends that are taking place, we know that there are some objective truths from God about who he is concerned about the most, and we've spent a lot of time talking about people that are in desperate need of God, and this Sunday, we are closing up the series with people that would kind of, in a general category, be the ones who are most desperate for God, and we'll get to that in just a second, but before we do, it was an interesting timing on preparation for this message, and so um, we, pr- we plan and we prep our messages out um, in advance from Sundays, and so that we could be attentive to what God's saying and what God's doing um, with enough clarity uh, to, to really just hone in. And what's interesting about this message is that this message prep happened the week that Billy Graham died. And, um, and we're a couple of weeks removed from that now. Um, but that was a really popular uh, kind of um, moment for our country, as Billy Graham was one of the most prominent figures that we've got in our country currently and in our country's recent history. Um, so popular that uh, even my kids know who Billy Graham is, though they have been, um, though he's been removed from kind of public life over the last decade of his. And um, uh, everybody in my family, all my kids knew who he was except for Cade. You know, I was like, hey, Billy Graham died. And he's like, who's that? And I was like, Okay, well, um, he's like, is he a soccer player? I was like, nah. And anyway, he's like, well, then what's the bit? No, I'm just joking. He, um, he, he wasn't the one. He didn't know who he was, but everybody else did. And, and in fact, um, I was talking with Braden, um, my oldest son, about um, Billy Graham. And we were just talking about the fact that he had reached so many people to the tune of about 215 people at live um, events where he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we were talking about how he did that and uh, the kind of strategy that Billy Graham had to gather that many people over 60 years of ministry was what's called Operation Andrew. Andrew is the brother of Peter in the Bible. Peter is the great disciple that we all know about, but Andrew is the person who invited Peter to come and to meet Jesus. And so Operation Andrew was that when Billy Graham would go into a city with a crusade, what he would do is kind of um, empower all of the followers of Jesus Christ uh, who had concern for people that didn't know Jesus Christ to invite those people to come to a crusade to hear the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed and um, with the prayerful hope that those folks would come into a relationship with Jesus. And so that's how Billy Graham got so many people to those events. And in being able to proclaim the, um, the name of Jesus, millions upon millions of people have given their lives to Jesus Christ, having their lives forever changed for the better because of him. And he went to 125 different countries and um, influenced people in the millions and possibly even into the billions when it comes to TV and radio over the years. And so it was interesting that we were having, um, a pre- we were prepping for this message when that happened. In fact, we had to scrap our original intro just to kind of come back to this Billy Graham guy who clearly over 60 years of his life gave himself to this this um, desire to, to see people come to find life in Jesus. Like he literally gave his life to this, this idea of other people coming to find life in Jesus. And he's not the only person in history that 
had that kind of perspective and had that aim in their life. In fact, we've seen this throughout history. Um, a few centuries ago, there was a guy named John Bunyan. He was a pastor. He was a preacher. He's also an author. If you have a chance to maybe read some classic works of, of theology and faith, he'd be a good place to learn from. So John Bunyan, in the 1600s, he had this interesting quote about when he preached. Bless you. Hey, this is what he said, that when he would preach, he felt that he could trade his salvation for the salvation of others. Like there was something in the moment of preaching where he was compelled and he felt that if he could trade his salvation, he would do it so that other people could have their salvation. And that's, that's a pretty big thing. I mean, I'd love to be able to say to you that like I would be willing to trade my salvation so that you could experience salvation. I'm not there. I mean, you know, I'm, you know like I'm just confessing. That's a big trade. That I would trade my eternal relationship with God so that somebody else could experience that. Which makes this next quote even like more profound and more challenging for us. And, and that's from Charles Spurgeon, who came along a couple hundred years after that and a couple hundred years ago. And he said this, I pity the man who has never felt the same as John Bunyan. Like he has actually pities the person or uh, the people or the preachers that can't feel the same way that John Bunyan did when he said, hey, I'd trade my salvation for others. What? What Charles Spurgeon is saying is like, hey, if you don't feel this like compulsion and this conviction to trade your life so that somebody else can find life, like there's pity on us. And so start to think about this. And I know that the context for that is preaching and preachers, that preachers are supposed to feel that way, but preachers are no different than, than any of us. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, there should be these moments where we go, you know what, I should give my life so that other people can find their life. Like, I should give my salvation if it means that another person can give their salvation. And I go, man, I don't know that I'm there. Like, and maybe I've had those moments where as a youth pastor, as an associate pastor, as a lead pastor of the church, like, I'm like, God, I just wish people would get Jesus. And I wish that I could do anything for that. But when I think about giving my life for that, I mean, you know, maybe Liz, probably a little bit more my kids, you know, but... That's a big trade. That's a big trade. And when you go back through the Bible, you see people that kind of, they have these moments, these, these great moments where they're like, ah, you see their heart for people to know, to know God in a very real and personal way. Like Moses in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, this is what Moses prayed out to God on behalf of the Israelites, blot out their sin. In other words, forgive them of their sin and their transgressions. Then he says this, but if not, please blot me out of the book you have written. Whoa. That book being the Lamb's book of life that's mentioned a couple times in scripture, that that's, that is that the, the entry point into heaven where in that book is written all the names of people who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life or before Jesus had faith that God was the source of righteousness. Wow. Hey, blot out their sins so that they can be forgiven and have access to you eternally. And if not, then blot my name out. I'll trade my life for the salvation of someone else. And then you go to the New Testament. There's this guy named Paul. Paul was a church persecutor turned church planter all because he saw that there was a dead man who came back to life. That's a pretty radical thing. We're going to celebrate next Sunday. Uh, we celebrate it every Sunday, but 
church kind of gets focused on it next Sunday. And, and he's praying for his, his fellow people, the Israelites. And this is what he prays in Romans 9, 3, or this is what he writes. I wish that I was accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. I mean, he's, he, he says that his people, they know a lot about God, but they don't know God that they know a lot of rules, but they don't have a relationship. And what he's saying is, I wish I could be cut off so that they could be connected. These are powerful moments, and I want to be there. And I'm not sure that we're there as a church, and yet you see these great people of faith over the past and the history of Christ followers that have that. And why do they have that? And I think they have it because of Jesus. Because Jesus not only was willing to give his life for the salvation of others, he willfully gave his life for the salvation of others. And I think a lot of times, because of the resurrection, we get desensitized to the crucifixion, which is one of the reasons why I love Passion Week or the week leading up to resurrection, because in order to get to an empty tomb, you got to go through the cross. And we so often get desensitized and we forget about the cross that in the week before Jesus came back from the dead, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And everybody's going, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, please save. And they think that they're getting an earthly Messiah. And he rides in on a donkey, not on a stallion, to say, hey, I came as a humble servant. I came in humility to die to give my life for you. And then he's arrested, and then he's beaten through this thing called flogging, which we don't want to go into the details of this morning. Then he's nailed to a cross in a form of execution and capital punishment that had never been seen before and no longer exists because it's cruel and it's excruciatingly painful, not because you have nails that are driven in your hands and in your feet, but because you actually die under suffocation from your body weight. And we got so desensitized to the crucifixion because of the resurrection that we missed the point that this is what Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, did for us. And we know, okay, well, this is a great, powerful God that did this for us. Fully man, fully God. Don't miss the humanity of Jesus in that moment where it came down to not, are you willing to do it, but will you do it? And he did it. He gave his life so that you and I and this entire world could find life, new life, abundant life, and eternal life in him. And when you start to, to see his life, then you go, okay, now I get it. This is what my God did for me. Maybe this is what I should do for other people. Maybe this is what I should be willing to do for other people. And the question is, will we do it for other people? And I want to know why Jesus would be willing to do it. And that was the question that I kind of prayed into as we were prepping for this week. Why would Jesus be willing to do that? Fully God, fully man, Why? And I feel like the Lord led me to a passage in Matthew chapter 9. So if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I'm going to invite you to go with me to Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 35. This is what we discover. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, that was their church of the day, and proclaiming the gospel, that means good news, of the kingdom. That means that God's reign is available in our lives through a relationship with him. And healing every disease and every affliction, this is one 
um, one of the blessings of inheritance of living life under the reign of God in a relationship with him. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Everybody say compassion. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And to me, this passage in the Lord's guidance was the way God's saying, hey, this is why he was willing to die. Because he saw people that were like sheep without a shepherd. And when he saw them, he had compassion. That word compassion is an interesting word. When you go back to the Greek word that's translated as compassion, it means bowels. A fun word in Greek, right? And basically what that means is that Jesus, he wasn't stirred with like this head knowledge that these people were separated from God or that this separation lasts eternally if it's not resolved. When he saw them, he was stirred at the depth of his being. He was stirred at, like, at a gut level. He was moved in a different way than just having knowledge that these people are going to die and, and be separated from God for all of eternity, if not resolved. He was stirred. He felt it. And the reason that he felt it is because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What a great analogy and metaphor for people and for God sheep and shepherd. And it's kind of insulting in a way, but it's actually pretty appropriate that, that a metaphor for people would be sheep. There's a lot of similarities between sheep and people. Um, that's why people just combine the words and call people sheeple. And, um, and so here are some of those similarities. Sheep follow each other, follow the flock, just like people follow people. We're, we're crowd followers. Sheep are restless. They have a hard time being still and being peaceful. And so are people because we're busy. Yesterday, I had to be at Carly's track meet at 745 in Monroe. We left early at 4, picked up Braden from two baseball games on the way home for a two-hour break, then went back to baseball and got home last night at 1154. People are busy. Sheep are hard to train, and so are people. Don't look at your spouse. I mean, don't do it. We're creatures of habit. We're habitual people. Sheep cannot find their way, and people can't either, especially men, right? Sheep and people both need a shepherd. The word sheep's mentioned 500 times in Scripture, mostly relating to how we're similar the word shepherd's mentioned over a hundred times, most of the time mentioning how God is like a shepherd. And there are three basic needs that people have. We need protection. We need provision. And we need a path for life. And a good shepherd provides all three of those things for people or for sheeple or for sheep. Protection, provision, and a path for life. Um, Jesus kind of summarizes those three things in the description, that they were harassed and helpless. They were harassed because um, sheep don't have good defense mechanisms. They're just not good at defending themselves. You can look at a, a sheep's like physical appearance and know that there's not a lot that can help them out. They don't have talons. They don't have claws. They don't have like spikes on their body. In fact, when you look at a sheep, you just want to snuggle with the sheep, right? Um, they, they don't have any 
like odors that come out of their body like the skunk did that sprayed at our house last Saturday. I mean, they don't have anything that's really that protective of them. They don't have any noises that they can make outside of a bat, you know, and that's not really intimidating either. In fact, when they get really excited, they make this sound. This is what they sound like. Yeah, I mean, not like, in fact, you just want to watch that over and over like we did this week. I mean, we just want to watch that over and over because like you're invited into the relationship with the sheep. It's like, ah, you know, like we want that. That's awesome. I mean, so they have absolutely nothing. And literally, when it comes to us, like we don't have a whole lot of protection either. We're just not good at protecting ourselves or coping with those things that we would say are battles in life that kind of confront the way that we think life is supposed to go. And so we just kind of cope in really poor ways. And in our culture, we cope a lot with computers. So men retreat to computers for things. Women retreat to computers for things. We, we cope with medication. I mean, we cope with all kinds of things because we just aren't good at defending ourselves. We need protection. And, and when it comes to relationships and emotional stuff, we will, we'll, we'll either try passive aggressiveness or aggressiveness. And if we can't fight it, then we'll, we'll flight, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of try to flee from it. And when you take a look at sheep, they're not fast. They're not quick. They can't get out of the way from danger. And we're kind of the same way. We're just not fast enough or quick enough or have enough endurance to outlast the things that kind of confront like the way that we feel like our life should go. And, and it's kind of like life where we get on a treadmill and we can't hit the off button. We're trying to run and outrun things and we'll flee from relationships. We'll flee from workplaces. We'll flee from certain activities or certain scenarios where we feel like there's conflict and there's, there's danger. And we just can't, we can't do that. We're, we're, we're harassed because we're not good at defending ourselves. We need protection. And if we're not harassed, we're helpless. We can't find our own source of food and water like sheep. I mean, a sheep will literally stop at a muddy puddle of water when their feet from clean drinking water. They'll settle for things that aren't satisfactory and aren't good for them in the way that we do the same thing. We just settle for a lot of stuff that's not good for us, and it's certainly not enduring. And, and if it's not food or drink, we'll, we'll, we'll like try to like find our, our own way to peace through possessions or people or popularity, power. We'll, we'll try to find that. I mean, we'll follow the crowd wherever they go. And by what the crowd does is what we'll do. Sheep are funny because they'll do that even to their detriment. They're like sheep are notorious for falling off of cliffs. And so they'll just follow one and follow another. In fact, in Turkey a few years ago, 1,500 sheep fell off of a cliff. Now, only 400 of them died. Those were the ones on the very bottom and then the ones in the middle that got suffocated. The rest of them, they just had a pillowy fall. <laughs> it's like an amusement ride for sheep. I mean, so, so that's what we do. I, I remember being a kid and saying things to my parents like, hey, can I do this? And my, my dad's reply back was no. And I'd say, well, my friends are doing it. And he said, well, if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? And I was like, that's a dumb question, no. But that's what we do, because we're sheeple. We follow each other. We get lost, and we can't find our way back. We're harassed. We're helpless. We need a good shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, because he lays down his life for his sheep. A 
a good shepherd protects, just like Jesus protects us. Shepherd's going to protect with a rod and a staff. Those rod and the staff, they can actually nudge and prompt sheep to do things gently, gently do things. On occasion, we might have that crook of that rod pull us back into line and into order. And the way that God protects us is like, uh, almost like a mystery to us. It's profound to us where we might get nudges and prompts to just kind of go this way and, and dodge this danger and move from this danger. Or sometimes we get a kind of a gentle prompting to come back to God. Maybe some of you are here at church today because you had that gentle prompt just to come back to God. Sometimes we're not even aware of the protection that God offers us. Where God's handling enemies and distractions and dangers, and we think, oh, what's happening to what's happening to me? Where it could have been much, much different because we don't even know what God's protecting us from. We know that God is protector. When we are harmed, when we are harassed, a good shepherd has oil for his sheep. That's why every first Friday of the month we have healing and prophetic nights or healing and encouragement nights. It's an oil for people where God can mend our hearts, our souls, and our minds, and our bodies. God is, in Jesus, good protector. He's a good provider. He, he, he will actually provide rest for us. That's why he says, hey, if you're tired, if you're burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. He'll provide water and food. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness... You'll be satisfied. He says to a couple of people, he's like living water inside of us that when we abide in him, it's clean, it's good for us, it's everlasting. He's a good shepherd to the point where in John 10, 10, in the metaphor of sheep and people, he says that the enemy of God comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but he has come that we may have life and life to the fullest in the way that he lays down his life for us. He, he provides a pathway for our life to greener pastures or abundant life. He came that we may have life, life to the full. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. He's the path. And so we come to Jesus in, in life when we need direction and guidance. He is everything that we need. And he knows that. So when he sees people who need what he has, he gives it to them. And that's why he changes metaphors right at the end of this passage and says, hey, there's a harvest that's plentiful. There's a harvest that's plentiful. In other words, there are, there are plenty of people that are harassed and helpless. There are plenty of people that are like a sheep without a shepherd. There are plenty of people who need what I have to offer. He said, but the workers are few. You know, when it comes to, when it comes to the harvest, the harvest is plentiful. Uh, church experts say that each one of us, we can make a list of between 8 and 15 people who are unchurched and non-Christian. And they might be people that we go to school with, people that we go to work with, people that we live with in a house, people that we live next to in a neighborhood, people that we go to the ballpark with or to the track meets, really long track meets with, you know. It could be all kinds of people, 8 to 15 of that. And then you take a look at outside of like our sphere of influence as individuals and you go to our sphere of influence as a church just in this community in a 10-mile radius of this, there are dozens of thousands of people and two-thirds of which don't have a relationship with Jesus. And then you go to the world, there are about 4 billion people that don't have a relationship with Jesus, 2 billion of which 
still haven't heard the name Jesus, don't have a Bible in a translated language that they can read, or don't have access to a church. Harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Unfortunately, that's a trend that we have got in our church. And when I say our church, I'm talking about the church in America, where 85% of people would say, yeah, it's important to be a Christ follower and to share our faith, but only 27% of people look for active ways to share their faith, and only 23% of people actively start relationships to share their faith, and only 2% of people invite someone to church in any calendar year. That's the trend. But the truth is that people need something that Jesus has to offer them. And the truth is that if the harvest is plentiful around you, you might be the only person who can offer that to them. Just like a guy named Albert McMakin. Does anybody know who Albert McMakin is? Raise your hand if you do. Yeah. Albert McMakin gave his life to Jesus Christ when he was 24 years old in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there was a a revival that was happening in Charlotte with a guy named Mordecai Ham. What a cool preacher name, Mordecai Ham. And he was having a revival meeting. He wanted all of his friends to find what he had found in Jesus. So he loaded all of his friends onto his truck to take them to these revival meetings that were taking place in Charlotte, North Carolina. All but one. One guy was resisting. One of his friends was resisting that. And so um, he tried everything to convince him to come to these revival meetings. He, in fact, called Mordecai Ham a fighting preacher, meaning that like, when he preached, it was like, like getting fired up to like, be ready to go out and fight. And uh, if you need to tell anybody that I'm a fighting preacher, I'll fight him. I'll do that for the sake of their soul, okay? But you know, he tried that, and that was kind of intriguing to this friend of his. But the most intriguing thing was that, that Albert said that this friend could drive his truck every night to the meeting full of friends if he would go. And he agreed. And at the end of the week, this friend gave his life to Jesus Christ. And that friend's name was Billy Graham. You might be the one that reaches one. You might be the one that reaches one who reaches one. You might be the one that reaches one who reaches some if not millions and possibly billions of people. If you will pray for the Lord of the harvest to bring workers, including yourself. Rumors of the Son of Man Stories of the Savior Holiness with human hands Treasure for the traitor No ear had heard, no eye had seen The image of the Father